Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Generally, when we think of wanted people, we think of America's most wanted and the FBI's wanted list. The people that are placed on this list are supposedly individuals who pose a grave threat to national security or the security of the people of the nation. The FBI's most wanted list began back in the 1950s and, since its inception, has featured some infamous characters, such as Whitey Bulger, an organised crime boss from New Jersey, who would spend 16 years on the list until his eventual capture and imprisonment. The lady dubbed the Crypto Queen, Ruja Ignatova, who would scam investors of her fake cryptocurrency, OneCoin, out of a reported $4 billion. Although never found, there have been many reports that she in fact was killed in 2018. The infamous serial killer, Ted Bundy, who was added to the FBI's top 10 fugitives list on February 10th of 1978 and was arrested just five days later. He would be given three death sentences in two trials and executed in 1989 in a Florida state prison. James Earl Ray, the man who assassinated Martin Luther King Jr. and had escaped from prison the previous year. He would run north to Canada and lay low for a while. After a few months on the run, Ray was arrested in London and sent back to the United States to stand trial for his crime. There, he would plead guilty to King's murder and was sentenced to 99 years in prison. As you'll notice, almost all the people mentioned eventually found themselves caught. And in fact, out of the 530 fugitives that have made it on the list since the 1950s, 494 have been captured, representing a 93% success rate. William Defoe, or Wild Bill, was also captured. Except his capture was more by accident than anything else. I turned the television on in my little cabin and I saw my own face looking back at me. My name's Jack Lawrence. Welcome to Wanted. I'm a wanderer of the soul Before the end I plan to behold But I know I'll lose myself along the way What's gone is gone What's past
As we know, while Bill is serving over 40 years inside a prison in Panama, convicted of the murders of five American expats. Some of these killings were, he says, sanctioned by a local cartel that he worked with. Some were opportunities to further his lifestyle. All were for financial gain. Such as the murder of a former drug trafficker who had escaped prison in the United States. Bill would kill this man and take his money, as well as the property that he owned. This was in a remote part of Panama. It would be here that Bill would set up his own bar, one that would become infamous and in fact have a book written about it, the Jolly Roger Social Club. Authorities would say that Bill would use this bar in order to get close to people, close enough that he would be able to kill again and again, to consume their lives and taking their belongings as well as their property. I decided to build my own bar in the middle of hell, in the middle of paradise, in the middle of far out, in the middle of nowhere, in hell's paradise, you know. And it was this wonderful place. I mean, it literally was. It was incredible. Like, right, like the, the site that I chose for the bar was over the water. It was a bar built on top of the water on posts. So you could, uh, you could drive up to it. I also put mooring balls about 100 yards out, about five of them. So you could moor a sailboat or a, or a yacht, big, big fucker, out in the middle of a protected bay. And I would rent those for 200 bucks a month. I built a bar there. Uh, there was a horseshoe, a horseshoe bar, horseshoe-shaped Texas-style bar that my friend Danny built. In front of the bar, there was crystal clear blue water with, like, idyllic. You can see no, no houses. You couldn't see any houses. You couldn't see anything. Just pure natural stuff. And so I'm like, people came and like fell in love with it. Like, like a lot of sailboaters would come and hook up there and stay for six months because it was like so crazy. So the bar was actually a crazy ass place. I, I, I sold cocaine on, you know, lines of cocaine out from under the bar. The bar was only open Thursday to Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday it was closed. And um, it was like, it's not like a bar where you had like a whole bunch of people. I mean, like maybe there's 20 or 30 people on a busy night, you know, there's 30 people there on a really busy night. So, so we, we took turns. Sometimes I had a, a, a lady, like there were other gringos. I wasn't the only gringo that lived so far out. There were others. But and the thing that made it cool was if you live that far out, you're, you're really a strange and or interesting person. So it was an interesting group of cutthroat scallywags, you know, it was called the Jolly Roger Social Club. And because it was a private club, you didn't have to have any kind of liquor license or anything like that. Not that there was any, any even, ever anybody to check. I never saw a police boat. Never. Never. And the whole time I lived there, I, I lived there from 2006 until 2010, I never saw a police boat. Not once. And so that was my life, basically, in that time. I mean, my life back in those days was good. But at the same time, I want to be really clear about this. I want you to hear me. I was miserable. I was a very unhappy man. I was unhappy because I didn't like what I was doing. I didn't like hurting people. I never did. And I also was really paranoid that one day there'd be a helicopter with little black men, little dressed, little black dressed men, you know, combat dressed men jumping out of the helicopter coming to arrest me or that my rivals would kill me, which was probably the most popular thing. I never thought I'd go to prison, like Panamanian prison. thought maybe the Americans would come and put a collar on me and drag me back home and stick me in some shithole there, you know. But I never thought I'd go to a Panamanian prison. That didn't even seem like a possibility. But of course it was, and Bill's crimes would come to an end in July of 2010 when he was captured and eventually found himself inside one of the Western Hemisphere's most dangerous prisons 
which of course is where he is relaying this story from. Now, with the podcast One Minute Remaining, I'm very used to having interviews with incarcerated men and women interrupted due to issues with the prisons. Everything from storms knocking out phone systems, prisons going into lockdown because of gang fights and riots, and even one person I've spoken to being stabbed and being relocated to another facility. And I'll be honest, because Bill has his own mobile phone, I figured we would probably be fine with our interview, until one morning I woke up to a message. It said that he, along with 13 others, had been taken from their cells and placed in a punishment wing, an area of the prison with four huge welded steel cages that are open to the elements. He says within the punishment block he's unable to get much phone signal and is unsure at this stage when he might be moved again. Up until this point, Bill has been recording his story and sending me audio files via WhatsApp. With his lack of signal, unfortunately, we can't do this. So at this point in the story, I'm going to have to jump back to Bill and I's first initial interview that was done over the phone. So as a word of warning, the audio quality does take a slight downturn as Bill talks me through his last moments of freedom and his eventual capture. So when I finally got busted, the Panamanian Dijota called me and said, hey man, they've just issued a warrant for your arrest. And the Dijota is like the American FBI. I worked with the Panamanian Dijota. I paid them and they helped me a lot when I was trying to find somebody or trying to do, I mean, like, they're so corrupt. Your government here is so corrupt. It's gone corrupt. You can't, even, you can't imagine it in your home listening to this, whoever you are, wherever you are in the first world, you can't imagine how corrupt it really is here in hell. And, uh, and so they, they called me and said, hey, Bill, you got to run because they're going to come and arrest you tomorrow. And so I did. I went back to Costa Rica and it's a little bitty mountain town that I know and I stayed there for about three weeks and on sometime during the third week I turned the television on in my little cabin and I saw my own face looking back at me. El Salvaje Bill, Wild Bill. Thousands of people dead because of Wild Bill. Like thousands like shit. You know, like what? And so I ran, buried myself in the Nicaraguan jungle. While I was in the Nicaraguan jungle buried, literally like like hiding the Nicaraguan military moved into where I was because they had a scuffle with, with Costa Rica. The Costa Ricans and the Nicaraguans were fighting over an island in the river, and I was on that island. And they, they moved in to take the island, and I was on the island, and they took me to Managua. So they took me to Managua. I was in Managua for maybe, I don't know how long it was, man, but be honest with you, because they tortured me there, literally, like Soviet-style torture. The Nicaraguans, like everything is Soviet error, including their tactics. And they tortured me there, to, trying to get me to sign a piece of paper saying that I had killed a whole bunch of people in Nicaragua. I'd never even been to Nicaragua except on vacation. I went to Nicaragua a couple times on vacation, but I never killed anybody in Nicaragua. They were trying to get me to say I killed people in Nicaragua in 1999, you know, when I was 20 years old. I was like, what the fuck, man? I never, I was, never even left the stage yet. So when that didn't work, they shipped me back to Panama. Put me on a plane with the Panamanian authorities who completely treated me differently. And I arrived there to do the, the, the famous perp walk. Yeah, and I did this perp walk. <laughs> yeah, I know, man. I did this perp walk in front of every news camera. I hadn't bathed in two weeks. I'd been, or however long it was in, in Nicaragua. I don't really know because they put, had me in a dark room and I couldn't tell day from night. But I hadn't bathed in two weeks. I hadn't eaten three days. I was fat in the worst clothing and they 
take me down off this plane. And so then there's every single news agency in the world. So the BBC, the ABC, Telemetro, Telemundo, you know, everything from Latin America, everything in the United States, everything from Europe is there. Bill indeed made international and national headlines across the United States and South America. They were America's most wanted fugitives, that is, until Monday. A couple who lived in Asheville is being detained in Nicaragua, accused in a string of killings in three different countries. They're also facing a laundry list of charges in the U.S., from stolen cars to a high-speed chase and fraud. Sus investigaciones lo llevaron a la pista de este hombre que se hacía llamar William Adolfo Cortez Ruiz, alias Wild Bill. Authorities have dubbed him Wild Bill, but for the first time in years, they have him right where they want him, in handcuffs. His real name is believed to be William Holbert. According to international officials, their MO was to find property for sale, kill the rightful owners, and move in. Vision of him and his partner at the time shackled and surrounded by men with machine guns and balaclavas, loading him into the back of a pickup truck. The scenes are quite chaotic. There's people everywhere. Men with cameras, more law enforcement, guns everywhere surrounding the truck as he is driven off to be placed in front of more cameras at a press conference. From there, he's driven to an airfield where, again, he is flanked by men with machine guns and balaclavas as they walk him to a small plane to be flown back to Panama. Once back in Panama, Bill is taken in front of the prosecutor that will be working on his case, and he would confess to all murders he's accused of. But he's quick to make sure his friends in the cartel don't think he's about to turn informant. I went to the, the Fiscalia, which is the district attorney's office, prosecutor's office, and they asked me what I did. I said, I killed everybody. And everybody you want that, that you accused me of, it's true that I killed them, and I did it for money, and I confess completely. And and then they wanted me to like rattle my friends, and I'm like, fuck y'all, y'all not gonna protect me, they'll kill me. And like I'm saying, I did it all because of me, because I wanted to, not because anybody else wanted to. And that pissed off the the district attorney to no end because I wouldn't cooperate, but I did cooperate, didn't I? Because I said I did it all, I confessed. So they sent me to prison, and the first thing that I did was send a copy of my statement to all the boys from the cartel because I know they're like people in prison waiting to kill me, you know, when I get there because they're they're horrified, you know, like this thing's this thing really blew up huge just scandal. And and so I sent the copies, I'm like, I took the blame for everything, I didn't say anything about y'all. Leave me the fuck alone. I'm not asking for you for any help. I'm not asking for nothing, I'll figure it out on my own. And to this day, that's what I did and it's all worked out pretty good. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... 
All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I'm sure you can imagine prisons in Panama are not like prisons in the Western world of Australia, the United States or the UK. In these prisons, money can pretty much buy you anything you want and make your stay just that little more comfortable. And that's exactly what Bill says life started out like for him. But prison in Panama isn't like prison in the first world. Prison in Panama, if you got cash, it's pretty damn good. And I lived really good for like nine years. I ate food in the street every day from outside. I ate like, you know, whatever I wanted to eat, you know, one McDonald's, you want pizza, you want like some home cooked food, soup, whatever. I just called out and they bring it to me. Uh, I had the best job. I was elected as inmate representative to the, to the David public prison, which doesn't exist anymore. Back in those days, it did. And, and I had free reins. So there was anything I couldn't do. I just couldn't leave. Prison, you know? I had a key to my own cell. I left myself at five o'clock in the morning. I came back and locked myself in at 11 o'clock when I was tired. Uh, I had a conjugal visit from outside every week. This nice lifestyle that Bill was leading would come to an abrupt end in 2018, when Bill says that he decided to try and bring attention to the plight of the poor prisoners inside the facility, ones without money who get treated horrendously. Part of this attention would come in the form of an interview. An interview that would, in one sense, cause serious issues for him, but also send him down a new path. I stood up for the poor prisoners in... In, in the prison where I was because they were so mistreated by the authorities in Panama. Like the rich prisoners like me were treated so well and the poor prisoners treated so bad. So I stood up for them and, and paid a lawyer to fight for them and do a few things and even stood up for them on the inside, the prison. And the Panama, and, and, the, and then this chick from the Daily Mirror in Great Britain called me and asked me to do an interview with her and I was so excited about it. And so I did this interview with her that was supposed to be about how the poor people are being mistreated in Panama and she promised me that she would never show my face on camera so the Panamanian authorities wouldn't get angry with me. And she did exactly what she promised she wouldn't do and she made the, the interview about how many privileges and how I was eating well and how, you know, and how I had access to firearms on the inside of prison and shit like that. And uh, you, you can see on that video, she does me a, a, a video phone call and she has somebody on the side, standing on the side, recording her doing it. So I can't see her recording it. But she promised me she wouldn't show it. And the Panamanian authorities flipped the fuck out. And then they had the vehicle that they needed to break it off of my ass. And they did. Like, bad. They sent me where I am now, in Sector C, which is a soft torture facility ran by the most elite police in the Republic of Panama. So here I've been for three and a half years inside this hell where I live. I lost everything. I lost all my money. I lost all my power. And I was a defeated man. I thought about killing myself. And I did something that I never would have done anywhere else if I, you know, nowhere. And I prayed and asked God to help me. What do I need to do? And God spoke to me. But and don't get me wrong. I'm not insane. God didn't say, hey, Bill, you know, this is what you ought to do. He didn't say it like that. But like my, my own heart. God said, you need to be doing something for something other than yourself. Look how fucking miserable you are, Bill. Aren't you miserable? Aren't you tired? I'm like, here you are ready to die even. You're so tired. Don't you want to do something for somebody else? And so I started a program here. I opened a church. I mean, it's a church in the sense that I believe in God and I believe in Jesus Christ. 
that's not the general message of my church. The general message of my church or the church that I, that I, that I, that I administer for God is that you don't have to be a gang member. You can stop that shit. You got these kids, right? They come into this place and they don't know anything except the gang life. They've never known anything else. They were born into it. Their mother was a prostitute, a drug addict prostitute. And they, for since the time they were three years old, it's the only thing they've ever known. And they never went to school. They don't even know how to read and write. Is they, are they going to grow up to be doctors and lawyers, Jack? I ask you. Of course not. Yeah. And so who helps, who helps them? Nobody. So, so we started a program here teaching them to read, teaching them to write. We're, we're trying to show them and give them the self-esteem that's necessary to do something else. You don't have to live this life. You don't have to die when you're 30 years old, man. Nobody has to kill you, or you don't have to get a 50-year prison sentence and die in prison. You don't have to do that. You can get out of jail and do something else. So that's what I'm doing with my life now. You've said already that it's one of the most dangerous prisons around. Like, how often is there a, a shooting or something in the prison? Well, they killed somebody. They killed two police officers and two inmates maybe a week and a half ago, two weeks ago. And what a shitstorm that's been. When I say you like talking about with guns, here it's difficult to explain. We don't have time to even talk about it, but like the street gangs run everything inside prisons here. There's no control on the inside of the prison by the authorities whatsoever. The control is the, the cops are on the outside with M16s and, and heavy machine guns. If you cross the line, they kill you. This, in this prison alone, there's 14,000 people, man. I mean, it's just you're just thrown in, in there. And I'm in the worst section of it. I'm in the deepest hell of that section. And that's where I have my church. If you don't believe in the law of attraction, if you don't believe in like the law of the mind, the law of gratitude, which we were all already talking about, you can look at me and say, I'm in the middle of all this bullshit as a foreigner and nobody's trying to kill me. I'm doing well. Why? Because I'm, I'm serving my fellow man. They like, even the bad guys respect that shit. So that if you can learn anything from this, you know, this podcast, learn that. So from the very beginning, Bill has always stated that he would never talk about the people that he killed nor how it happened because essentially he says that the stories, talking about them and reliving them, gives him nightmares. And I don't want to talk about individual murders. I'm not going to because I think it's disrespectful. Not only that, it gives me nightmares when I talk about it. I'm not shitting you. I, I, I sleep so good at night, dude, that I don't like thinking back about that shit. I mean, that's, that, I was that man who did those things, but I'm not anymore. You know, I don't have that in me anymore. I'll talk about the lifestyle, but I'm not going to talk about the individual murders because the one there's too many to talk about. But back in those days, I, I looked at myself as if I was a weapon. I'm a gun. You know, I would tell bullshit things like that to myself. I would say things like that that are not true. Uh, I would say, I'm a gun. I'm not. It's not me that's killing them. If I don't kill them, somebody else will. And that may or may not be true, but it didn't alleviate me with guilt. I tried to alleviate and get the guilt myself. So Bill says that he's a changed man. He looks back on his past self with almost disgust at the person that he was. He has regret, even says he has nightmares about the people he killed. So why? Why did he do it? Was it purely just greed? You told me that, you know, the, the first gentleman you killed was a self-defence situation. So when, the, when it came to the time to being asked to do it for cash, what goes through your head in that situation? Are you purely just thinking about the money and not the actual act itself? Yeah, definitely about the money. I mean, I'll tell you something. A lot of people in this profession like it, enjoy it. I didn't like it at all. It was a terrible, horrible, nerve-wracking thing to kill somebody else. And like, you know, like a lot of guys like that whole, get off on the whole, you're going to die, you're going to die, ha, ha, ha. You know, that to me is like horrific. I wouldn't do that to anybody else. I wouldn't want somebody to do that to me. So like the whole idea of killing somebody was like, and even up until the very end, it was not, 
pleasant. It was very unpleasant. Um, I was just so morally shot, so morally gone. My morals were such shit that it allowed me to do it because it was cash. I mean, I was making really good money. And so, like, but when I killed people, I did it without nobody ever in the, in the history of my hitter career. I never killed anybody that knew they were going to die before they died. They were alive on second and dead the next, and no, nobody even ever saw it coming. Um, I'm not going to talk about method, but, but I mean, that's, that's, that's how I did it. And the reason I did it wasn't to be humanitarian. It was because I'm, I'm, a, I'm a coward myself. And, and the whole idea of it was just icky, you know, oh, God, I have to kill this bastard. But I get a lot of money so I can get laid and have fun and do mad shit on the beach. And so that was basically the, the mindset back in those days. It's a real, I'm like a real piece of shit as a person, I promise you. The other thing I find interesting about this entire situation is Bill has killed multiple people. He has been called a serial killer. Now, from what we know and understand about serial killers or these people that commit these crimes is they lack empathy. They have no emotion towards the people that they kill, hence why they're able to commit these types of crimes. It's what separates them from people who would never think or dream of killing someone for money let alone any other reason. But Bill says he does not like to be called a serial killer. No, and I detest that when they call me a serial killer because I think of somebody like Ted Bundy that murdered women for sexual gratification or something because he's sick. I'm not sick, there's nothing wrong with me other than the fact that I had really weak morals and made bad decisions. That's another thing, you better be scared listening to this, but whoever you are out there listening, you better be afraid because this could be you. I'm normal, man. I took a psychological exam they said that I, that I, I scored a little bit on the narcissist scale, but like not enough to be called a narcissist. And I don't have any personality disorders. And so, so if you fuck up and you concentrate, that's nothing I preach. I preach three things. The law of the harvest, the law of the mind, and the law of gratitude. The law of the harvest says the things that you do today are going to come back to you later than you do them, more than you do them. So if you act like an asshole, all that shit's going to come back to you. It did to me. My life's in shit. I mean, absolute shit. I live, I'm, li- I'm, I'm living a nightmare right now. Inside the prison, they have prisoners have guns and they kill each other inside here. This is a fucking nightmare. And that's, we talk about that on Life in Hell, on Life Inside Hell, on my YouTube channel. The, the law of gratitude says if you go, like we talked about earlier, you go through your day thinking, hey, things are going to be okay and, you know, everything's going to be okay. Well, then, then it, it will be. And, and it really will. And that literally changed the way that you see things. But then the law of, of the mind says whatever you think about is what you become. That's true. So you better be careful about the decisions you make because I didn't wake up one morning saying I'm going to be a contract killer. It didn't happen that way. It was one bad decision after another that led deeper and deeper down into hell and you better be afraid. You better think about the shit you're doing right now. If you're sitting on the couch right now listening to this and you're, you're fucking around on your wife, think about that family that you could lose. Concentrate on your wife. If you're sitting on the couch right now and you're stealing money out of the till, you're stealing money out of the cash register at work. Stop doing that shit because you're going to go to fucking jail. I mean, little bitty mistakes, man. Little bitty mistakes are the mistakes that, that make us walk down this path and fall into the hole where I am. And deep down in here, there are demons, man. I mean, there are demons that are 19 years old walking around with guns shooting each other. You don't want to be here. So while Bill is incarcerated and will be for a very long time, he, however, does hope at some point to get back to America. And that is what he's in the process of trying to do. What, is, what does the rest of your life look like? 
Well, I, I got a 46-year sentence, but here in Panama, you only do two-thirds of your time. But I'm trying to get back to the United States right now. Um, the United States has a prisoner transfer program that you got to be accepted. And so I've been in prison here 13 years. I was arrested in July of 2010. Shipped back. I was shipped back to Panama in July of 2010. Anyway, if I can get back to the States, I'm going to try to sort my shit out to get out of prison. I think I can. Here in Panama, it's going to be really difficult to get out of prison because there's no law. The authorities hate my ass. And so there's a certain hatred that goes along with being an American here. Not without reason. I mean, the Americans invaded here in 2000, in, in 1990 and killed a whole bunch of Panamanians. So, I mean, that's one thing. At the beginning of this story, Bill told us where it all went wrong for him. He says when his marriage broke down. And funnily enough, he says if he could go back in time, he would repair that marriage to avoid everything that has happened. happiest I've ever been was when I was a, little, a young kid living in, in back in North Carolina with my family. And if I had known then, well, I knew I would have done everything possible to save my marriage and raise my kids, and I didn't do any of those things. And I, I, I mean, I'm paying an enormous price for it, I assure you. This is the story of Wild Bill, a man who was wanted and has now been captured for crimes that he openly admits he committed. Coming up, however, I speak to a man who is still currently wanted by the FBI. After he took what he thought would just be a fun, bizarre trip to North Korea. And they said, look, next stage, they'll take you to the interrogation. Uh, in the interrogations, make sure that you reject the extradition because they will try and convince you, because it's less work for them, to accept it, at which point they'll put you straight on a plane to the US and bye-bye. Next time on Wanted. I'm a wanderer of the soul Before the end I plan to behold But I know I'll lose myself along the way What's gone is gone What's past is past Let me leave it alone Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.